Hey, everybody. Evan and Irma here with Avira Health. Today, we have a fantastic guest, digital health guru, uh, Dr. David Lee Schur. Doctor, how are you? Very good. Thank you. Pleased to be here. Uh, we're delighted to have you today. Uh, really uh, followed you for many years on your various social media channels and are so impressed with you and your work. So thanks for being here. Um, and we're going to dive in in a moment, but perhaps you have so many threads uh, happening at once uh, as a physician, as a teacher, as a thought leader, writer. Uh, maybe introduce yourself because I'm having a difficult time. <laughs> sure. I am a recently retired cardiac electrophysiologist and um, have been involved in digital health for a number of years now. Um, it basically all started a about uh, 14 years ago, um, I was a, um, a, a pioneer adopter of remote patient monitoring. Specifically, I was an investigator for the first uh, wireless monitoring of implantable defibrillators in 2000. And that, that was a big deal because prior to that, we had no way of knowing what was going on in this uh, device of patients. And um, quickly, evolved into something that is uh, has become standard of care. I also uh, took that data and interoperated it with my electronic record system at that time in 2002. And that was uh, an, an IT kind of uh, situation that didn't exist prior to that. Um, I then became very interested in digital health in general and started a, an award-winning blog that I uh, wrote for about uh, seven years and actually stopped writing because the goal of the, of the blog was really to introduce digital health and um, educate people, uh, both lay people and uh, people in industry about what digital health was, the uh, implications for it from a clinical standpoint, um, some technical aspects, but also integrating uh, legal, social, and, and other kinds of uh, angles with uh, digital health. Um, and, and so I've been doing that uh, along the time, advising companies about the uh, development and adoption of, of digital health technologies. Uh, right now, I'm chief medical officer of a company called SpeechMed, which mm -hmm. I can get into at a later time. But I am very active. Uh, I, I'm a board member of uh, the, the Philadelphia chapter of HIMSS and have been a, uh, uh, a reviewer for the, uh, the annual conferences uh, for a number of years. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful journey. That's quite a journey. Uh, one of the OGs of digital health, it seems. Uh, so we'd like to dive into that. But first, could you tell us um, what inspired you to specialize in your particular field? And maybe you can share some memorable, memorable case or patient story that has a significant, had a significant impact on you. Sure. So I went, I went into cardiac electrophysiology, which is the, the specialty of, of cardiac rhythm disturbances, uh, because I found that electro, electrocardiography and, and heart rhythms were very interesting. This is dating back to my, my medical school days in the 1980s. And I, I actually did some, some research in those days with uh, Holter monitors or 24-hour or rhythm monitors. 
And that sort of got me interested in this. I also saw patients that had sudden cardiac death. And uh, at that time, the defibrillator was not, not in, in, really in, in use or it wasn't approved. And so that whole uh, concept of, of uh, treating patients with arrhythmias really uh, interested me. Probably the most vivid uh, example of, uh, of uh, remote monitoring, I can tell you, is, is extremely uh, interesting. I, I was encountering a number of patients in the, uh, I believe it was late 80s or early 90s, um, with problems with their pacemaker when it would suddenly fail. And I had a patient who had this specific model of pacemaker, and, and this patient was on a cruise ship in the middle of the Atlantic or Pacific. And uh, I had, uh, that patient had an episode on the ship and gave them my phone number and they called me and I had them send over the patient's remote monitoring from the pacemaker and discovered that it was an affected device. They, they helicoptered the patient out to a, uh, to a hospital in some other country. And then the patient was airlifted to the United States. And so this literally saved the patient's life. Um, mm. In addition uh, the remote monitoring of these devices was recommended to be standard of care after accidentally or incidentally, I should say, a defect was found in a specific uh, model of, a, uh, of a, the wire in, in the defibrillator. So uh, it, it actually resulted in recalls and, uh, and the use of remote monitoring as a way of, of uh, developing a... Um, quality control uh, surveillance of these devices. Wow. What, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a story. Um, so that kind of highlights the importance of involving clinicians and patients in the development of these technologies. And you often share a lot about best practices, for, also for startups, you know, to effectively involve different stakeholders like patients. I guess you could call them a stakeholder. Absolutely. So what's your what's your worldview there? How did that that evolve over time? So a lot of a lot of digital technologies were and are developed by well-meaning people, uh certainly, uh, many of whom have had family or personal uh health issues that prompted the idea to develop these technologies. And certainly that's very admirable. But the, the uh, situation is that many of these companies do not include uh, patients themselves or clinicians in the development of this technology. So by the time the, uh, the viable product is, is uh, proposed, or, or even before that, there are things that are missed uh, a lot of times very fundamentally without having a clinical uh, perspective in the development of that process uh, or a patient's perspective. You know, we talk about user experience and there's no more important user experience than somebody using a technology to, uh, to have their health monitored or to monitor their own health. And in addition to that, I, I always stress the importance of involving the caregiver. So, Technologies that are developed should be uh, available to the caregiver itself, or the caregiver as well as the patient, um, to have uh, you know seamless and complete uh, care of the patient. Mm 
Amazing. Uh, yeah. Be, beyond the scenario you described, are there other breakthroughs that you're watching with particular interest in cardiology or, or Jason Fields that are super exciting to you as you kind of look a bit forward? I think that anybody who's been reading the headlines realizes that artificial intelligence is really, uh, it's not just a, um, a soundbite. Um, and, and it's not just something that is, is in, is, that is faddish. It's, it's, it, it is part of healthcare today in certain ways and is going to be extremely more important as we go on. And, and the artificial intelligence is not going to take the place of physicians or clinicians. It's really going to augment and help the way uh, people treat, uh, treat patients and involve caregivers. Uh, in cardiology specifically, there is a big um, interest in artificial intelligence in interpreting electrocardiograms, but not just looking at the electrocardiogram itself, but actually taking that data and translating it to, um, to real patient um, disease states. In other words, um, looking at an electrocardiogram and uh, determining if somebody has uh, perhaps structural abnormalities of the heart. This has been shown with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It's being used in, in heart failure and other things. But um, the artificial intelligence can also be used in, detect, in, in evaluating the algorithms that are uh, developed through remote patient monitoring to predict um, things that will happen instead of just analyzing them. This is amazing. Uh... This is a really great example of uh, using technology um, in healthcare medicine. Um, and this is a great segue to um, talk more about AI or other tools as potential ways to reduce clinician burden uh, and burnout. Um, I know you are a member of the HIMSS Task Force on Clinician Burden Reduction. Uh, could you talk about that role and... Um, uh, and and how do you see um, how do you see this uh, evolving uh, with the use of AI and other technologies potentially helping doctors? Sure. So the, the 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 biggest fear that clinicians had and still have with regards to digital technology and remote patient monitoring is the potential deluge of useless data that's coming to the clinician, and so artificial intelligence is is really the solution to this in the sense that it can filter out uh, data that is not relevant. Uh, more importantly, to identify trends in data, um, to identify problems before they occur, rather than just looking at the data itself. And, and it's the same thing as blood pressure. You shouldn't treat one sole blood pressure. You have to look at, uh, at trends. And the same thing goes for heart rates. It goes for anything um, with regards to remote patient monitoring. There are monitors that are placed in the heart itself in blood vessels to monitor heart failure. And you don't treat just one point. You really want to look at the, at the trends. So what, what the artificial intelligence is doing is really decreasing the amount of um, analysis that a human has to do and alert people on an actionable basis. In other words, data that will come that is going to have somebody change medication or treatment 
rather than just have that data in and of itself. And, and another example of that is, is just a, a basic um, analysis of diabetes. So we used to treat single blood, blood sugars, which patients do, but as far as the clinician goes, the hemoglobin A1C, which looks at blood sugars over a few months, is much more valuable data than, uh, than just a single um, point in time. Incredible. And tell us what SpeechMed does exactly and, you know, your mission there. SpeechMed is, is a company that uh, about more than 10 years ago or 15 years ago developed technology that translates anything in healthcare. And it's different than Google Translate or, or other um, artificial intelligence um, processes, which uh, by clinical studies have shown have a, a 67% accuracy rate. And if you're looking at healthcare, 67% accuracy is not really what you want. What we have is patented technology, which combines uh, human and AI. And we have a patient-facing app as well as um, clinician-facing dashboards, which uh, allow the patient to get all their information in their own language, including uh, medication reminders, appointment reminders. Uh, we're actually developing a process now where uh, patients who are being prepped for uh, things like colonoscopies or heart procedures can get those preparation instructions in their own language um, and, and monitor the, the progress of their uh, adherence to these protocols to avoid um, you know, patients either not showing up because they didn't uh, understand something uh, or uh, some other reason, but this way the patient is getting the instructions and reminders in their own language. And um, it's, it's really a technology which addresses both health literacy uh, and we do text to audio and audio to text for even people who speak English uh, in the United States who are illiterate. Um, mm. it, it addresses uh, disabilities such as patients who are blind or uh, who are uh, otherwise disabled. And so this is really a um, technology which I feel addresses the um, issues of equity and, um, and divides in healthcare that are brought about by, by health illiteracy. Interesting. So this is uh, one example where this technology helps both patients uh, obviously, but also providers who can now better communicate with the patient population. Absolutely. Uh, and I know you are advising a number of startups. In fact, I, I uh, first uh, got to know you somewhat through uh, your on the board of NQ Medical, and I did some consulting with them. Um, so um, do you have advice for startups? How can they effectively um, engage with providers or, or other stakeholders that would directly benefit from uh, from that technology, uh, other uh, ways like advisory groups or other ways to get engaged with potential stakeholders to show the value of uh, technology? So that's an, a very interesting question. Um, and, and it goes really to the point of how does a technology company get their product out there? And um, it's not an easy question. Um, probably the biggest um, uh, issue is how to get through a front door. 
And that front door may not be the best way to go. It may be a back door. So it, it all depends on what pain point the technology is addressing. In other words, if it's addressing a process issue in the emergency department, then going to the emergency department, you know, head uh, might be one, one area. If it's, if it's a nursing issue, it might, it might, you know, be more beneficial to go to a, uh, an organization of uh, nurses or uh, the chief nursing officer of the company. Uh, the pain point may be financial. So uh, the best way to go is, is possibly to an insurance company or a healthcare enterprise uh, financial person to see where this technology may fit in. Mm. One of the problems also is determining what the return of investment is. And that's the first question that a lot of adopters or potential adopters have in digital health, that return of investment may not be directly financial. In other words, there may not be a possibility of saying you're going to save X amount of dollars, but it may solve questions like efficiency. It may solve questions that we're addressing with these preparatory procedures where you have less cancellation of patients, which then becomes a financial issue. So it, it all goes to what problem you're solving and, and it may not be a return of investment, but you need to be solving somebody's problem that's worthwhile, whether it's from a, a process standpoint or, or a pure financial standpoint. Oh, such great advice. Uh, so in addition to being a practitioner and, and teacher, you're, you're also a, you know, a content creator. You're uh, active on social media, to say the least. You've had this fantastic blog. Um, what's your advice to startups or others who, you know, should be using social media more effectively to engage and community build and, and connect uh, on these networks? Yeah, I, I think that that should not be understated. And um, I certainly don't want people looking at social media in the same way of, of influencers, for example. Um, it, it's always good to influence people, but the best way to influence people is really to bring to the table um educational uh, and awareness and not just be a hard sell. So for example, pharmaceutical companies have digital health officers and want to be involved in digital health, um, but they don't really get out there and um, and speak to patients and, and caregivers. Yeah. In other words, the best way to increase um digital health use is really to increase awareness of the mm. disease state itself, of the difficulties in management. Direct-to-consumer, you know, advertising of a drug is really, you know, one thing, but it has nothing to do with reality as far as what happens when that patient is prescribed a medication. You know, how are they going to adhere to to taking it because it's, it's, it's obviously important um, to do that. And, and the other thing is, if patients are having problems with medication, for example, it would be much easier for them to go on a pharmaceutical company's app um, and, and tell them, I'm having a side effect to this medicine and it may be serious. Not that the, pharma the, the company is going to be uh, uh, exchanged for the clinician who obviously needs to know first. But, you know, in this way, you know, surveillance of patients, post-marketing surveillance of device and drugs is critical, and, and digital health can certainly play a big part in that. 
even in over-the-counter medications. Yeah, now we see that as well. All kinds of new platforms. The, I, I, I've really been enjoying the TikTok community around uh, the med twi- med tech. It's you know, except for the plastic surgeons, perhaps who are a little maybe getting a little over their skis. But, well, yeah, uh, LinkedIn has been LinkedIn itself has been incredible in the sense that mm-hmm. it it allows for the uh, volume of uh, you know uh, videos and and uh, data and links that um, that other others may not. Uh, it's also seen, you know, by me as a more professional way of mm-hmm. interacting from a formal standpoint, and certainly to to increase um, uh, networking. Um, Twitter is actually very good if you want to, you know, uh, convey something on the fly, or, or it's more immediate than LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. But there is a role for, for definitely for social media in, in developing um, relationships, whether it's during the development period or, or during the uh, sales period. Well, he has definitely been a pioneer of blogging in the early days uh, and uh, using social media effectively. And you're also, um, you know, you're still rooted in, in the practice of medicine through teaching. Uh, you know, your uh, your role at Penn. And uh, so my question is, what advice would you give to someone considering a career in medicine? Um, I know it's a medical profession uh, might have uh, um, gotten a little bit of a setback through pandemic, although there was a Fauci effect and more people went to, you know, applied to medical school. But now with the rise in burnout. Uh, a lot of uh, nurses and, and doctors are quitting. So what are your thoughts on, on the profession and anyone who's still interested? So I have, I have two main thoughts on that. Number one is if you go into medicine, whether it's as a physician, a nurse, or a PA, the most important thing is to, to look at this as a calling, much the same as somebody in the clergy. Because if you're looking this at this for purely financial reasons or other reasons, it's never going to work. So you really have to, this has to be, you know, a big part of who you are and what you want to devote yourself to more than looking at this as a job. Um, That being said, once you're in medicine, the stresses and everyday stuff that you go through, which is not insignificant, I can tell you that, um, should be augmented by increasing your interest in other things. So when I was uh, practicing, I got involved. In, I was the chair of an IRB, which is an institutional review board, which looks at reviews all clinical uh, trials that are submitted uh, by physicians in that institution. I was the um, cardiology representative of a Medicare Carrier Advisory Committee, I was an investigator uh, clinically in, in multiple clinical trials, including NIH trials. So, and, and I loved all of this. I, I didn't get paid for, for any of that, but it was, it was very important to me to increase my well-roundedness as a physician. I'm not saying that everybody needs to do this, but interest outside of, of your um, practice in healthcare increases your awareness of why things happen in healthcare, how they're affecting you, how you can potentially change it. 
and add things, um, you know, to the to the system itself. Oh, wonderful thoughts. Perspective, yeah. Well, we're, we're getting to the bottom of the hour here, but before we go, I'd love a little of your thoughts on the future of, in the field or digital health and wearables for the next few years. Anything you're particularly excited about personally, uh, professionally? Uh, you know, we all got our Apple Watches, many of us, or Aura Rings or other gadgets. What's, uh, what's on your mind? So I am extremely happy about where digital health is now. In other words, it's it's out there and people are aware of it. And it's taken, you know, a decade to do that. But that's what healthcare is about. Healthcare is is the slowest moving, you know, uh, machine there is. Um, but if something is worthwhile, it's going to come out. And all of this is being adopted. Uh, I went to Canada recently on vacation and saw an advertisement for the Cardia mobile uh, electrocardiogram uh, device. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not just, you know, in the U.S., it's, it's global. And the other thing is there's a huge movement, and, and it's going to happen in the next decade, of moving a lot of healthcare to the home, and, it, and it's called the home as, as hospital. So a lot of that is going to involve monitoring and digital health technologies, um, and I, I really look forward to, to that being the biggest impetus of the adoption of these technologies. We saw that during COVID with telehealth came in and, and really was uh, very uh, thriving. Uh, it's a lot less now. And that all has to do with the business and reimbursement issues. Uh, but the, ho- the hospital uh, being at home is going to address those financial issues and I think going to make it a lot easier for companies to have their technologies adopted. Wow. Well, the future is bright. And thanks so much for sharing your your time and your insights. And we look forward to continued connection on LinkedIn and Twitter. And uh, thanks for watching, everyone. And we appreciate any feedback you might have on the socials and, uh, you know, sh- uh, spreading this to a wider audience. Uh, thanks so much, doctor. We'll see you at HIMSS, uh, one of the events upcoming, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thanks so Thank much. You. Good to see you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye, everyone.